We have a special announcement here before we read the scriptures. Hello. How much are they asking? Well, that's a lot of money for a deck. Well, I hate to tell you this, but you're getting robbed. Did you hear me? You're getting robbed. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Let's say whole armor. That you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemings of the devil. Everybody say wiles. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Everybody say people. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand, referring to the wiles of the devil, in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. And Lord, we thank you for the armor. And Lord, we know we're living in perilous times. We're living in the last of the last days. And I pray, Lord, that you would encourage your people today with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Looking at verse... 10 again, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's possible to try to be strong and it's all our might. When my daddy first began to preach, coming from a tradition of fire and brimstone preaching, he really got into it and slammed his fist on his Bible and tore a page out. And afterwards, his daddy, who was also a pastor, said, son... It's the lightning that kills, not the thunder. Many times the presence of God results in thunder and we try to reproduce that thunder when really what we need is the lightning. We need for God to move. We need for him to do things. We don't want to fake it till we make it. We just want to wait on him, honor him. That's why we spend so much time worshiping the Lord in uninterrupted worship. Just honoring him, giving him a chance to soften our hearts so we can hear our voice and it's life-changing stuff when it's Him. Amen. So we want to be strong. We want our strength to come in from Him. Our strength comes from the Lord. Not by might nor by power, the Old Testament says, but by my Spirit, saith God. Put on the whole armor of God, verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against. Can we say the word against? against. 
flesh and blood, but against principalities. I say against powers. Say against the rulers of the darkness of this age. The spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. In three verses, the word against is used six times. And the word stand, if you include the word withstand, is used four times. Many times in focusing on the armor of God, in teaching uh, ministers of the gospel and, and ourselves, myself included, will focus on each individual piece of armor and not, and not really get the point of what it's for. So today, if you will allow me, I'm not going to focus on what each individual armor means and all of its innuendos and, and intricate details, but what's it, what is it used to stand against? We're called to stand against some stuff. Amen? So we're going to look at seven things to stand against and two things to stand for. And if we don't get done in time, well, this will be a two-parter. Praise the Lord. Don't want to choke the sheep. Lead them to green pastures. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. It's our desire today. How to do all to stand. <laughs> but before we get into this, I want to just say an encouraging word to those who maybe have been knocked down for any reason. Maybe you tripped yourself up, or maybe something happened that wasn't within your ability to handle, and you got knocked down. I want to encourage you. If you get back up, you can still be standing. You don't have to mope around, well, I used to stand, or... I'm standing now, but I fell. No, you're still standing. One of my favorite movie scenes, not necessarily my favorite movie, but it's from a movie that's a true story, a man named Antoine Fisher. He's an African-American sailor in the Navy who's constantly getting into fights, and so he has to go to counseling with a man named, I don't know his name in the movie, but he's played by Denzel Washington. And Denzel helps him sort through the stuff in his life Getting down to the root of his anger. Why is he so upset? You know, sometimes anger isn't really there by that which agitates us. It's not because your neighbor made you angry. You're already angry about something. And your neighbor just bumped up against that scab and got an out-of-proportion reaction. You know, if you hit your thumb with a hammer, it hurts. It really does. James Smith, who's probably one of the toughest men I know, will say that's smart. It hurts. But then the next day or two, if someone just walks up and does that, oh my God, it's like a hammer again, isn't it? It's the way it is. So got down to the bottom of his problems, and it was he was six years old. Went back into the past. He was six years old in foster care. Didn't know who his family was, really. And had a foster mama who was abusive physically, emotionally, and verbally. She would beat him in the face with wet rags. She would lock him in dark closets and leave in the, ba in the basement for days at a time by himself. Horrible experience. So the high, po high point of the film is he goes back to confront her and says, you tried to destroy me. He went, he went to see her to find out anything she knew about his family. And in the context, he said, you tried to destroy me, but I'm still standing. Let's say that together. I'm still standing. 
I said I don't know. Now come along, come on. I remember everything. Everything. You could have helped me, but instead you beat me to dust and you? Well, I don't know what you're talking yes, about. You do? I was six years old. Now you just listen. No, you listen to me. No, I think you'd have forgotten. I think you, you forgot. To I said listen to me. This is my time. You understand me? It don't matter what you tried to do, you couldn't destroy me. I'm still standing. I'm still strong. love that you may have, you may have been knocked down but you're not knocked out get up the saints are just the sinners who fall down but they get up get up and say i'm still standing can we say that together so this sermon is for all of us today what, we, what if we're standing what are we going to stand against that's what we're going to look at romans 5 says we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand it's by the grace of God that any of us can stand anyway. 1 Corinthians 16 says, Watch, stand fast in the faith. Be brave, be strong. Galatians 5, I love this. Stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So it's God's desire that we stand. And if we fall, that we get back up and still be standing. How to do all to stand. Beginning with the armor. Last part of verse 13 of Ephesians 6. First part of verse 14 says, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. To me, this piece of the armament speaks of standing against deception. We live in a day and time when deception is at an all time. I'm high. People you might think are strong many times can be deceived. The problem with deception is if you are deceived, you're deceived. You don't know it. And it's getting into Christianity even. Uh, there was a new church started up here in the last, couple, last few years. Um, pastor wrote this. He was shocked. He had just been to see... Uh, the Passion of the Christ, so that I should let, let you know when this happened, comes home, opens his newspaper, in his, his town newspaper, and here's an advertisement for a new church in his town. And here's the points that this church is promoting as being positive for itself. This church has no religious dogma. We encourage the freedom of individual thought and beliefs, a humanistic view of life. Our faith is based on celebrating the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Warm, accessible services. Our Sunday services typically include a mix of readings, music, moments of meditation or contemplation, and a sermonette. Our children's, sorry, I got carried away there, and a sermon. Our children's religious education program. We teach our kids to be accepting of differing beliefs and the importance of each person seeking his or her own truth. They study the world's major religions and draw on the core values of each faith tradition. So if you're looking for a congregation that cherishes freedom of belief and opinion with a warm sense of community and fellowship, please visit us. Sounds great. Problem is, Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. 
No one can have a relationship with the Father except through me. A lot of great prophets out there, but there's only one that's risen from the dead who still speaks through his people. Not that we're arrogant. We've just embraced the truth that he proclaimed. And he gave keys for living that if you'll live by what he said, it will heal your relationships, heal your body, heal your career, give you a destiny that is abundant life. Does it mean we condemn people? We stomp on people? No, we accept them for where they are and we share the love of God with them and let Jesus take care of it. But we're not going to water down what Jesus had to say. Amen? So if we're going to wear the belt of truth, we must stand against deception no matter how good it sounds or she looks. Amen. Or he looks. How to do all to stand. Stand therefore, the last part of verse 14 says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We know that our righteousness is not of ourselves. Our own righteousness is filthy rags. But God has imputed his own righteousness to us. We know we've been forgiven of a horrible debt of sin. We deserve to die, but God chose to forgive us. So our books which were in the red are now no longer in the red. That's a wonderful thing. But he didn't leave us there with zero balance. He credited us with his righteousness. We used to owe millions. Now we're worth millions. Hallelujah. Because of his great mercy. This weapon enables us to stand against temptation. Stand against temptation. This is to guard our hearts. Guard our hearts. Guard our hearts. The prior one, the, the belt of truth, guards the next generation. Guards our descendants. The belt of truth wasn't just a belt, but it was a skirt with leather, heavy leather, and pieces of armor that protected the fruit-bearing areas of the body. Amen. Hallelujah. It was not a kilt. Amen. But stand against temptation. If you're going to stand against temptation, you've got to have a plan. Tell your neighbor, have a plan. What will you do if someone walks into your office with a proposition? What are you going to do? Well, I've got a back door. I plan on using it. I plan on not closing that door if the temptation comes into my office. Keep it open. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 10 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you were able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I read the story of a pastor who was on his way to a neighboring city with another pastor, and um, they weren't able to sit together for some reason. So they were on separate ends of the car, and this good-looking lady boarded the train and sat by the pastor who's telling the story on himself. And she goes into all the details of her life. She's single again. She's this, she's that. She's available. And he, he attempts to minister to her. And as the train travels on down the road, it's a long journey. It got dark. It turned to night. And the train is dark. She falls asleep and begins to snuggle against his shoulder. And he said all kinds of thoughts were raging through his mind. And he knew this scripture. No temptation has taken you except such as is common to man. He's not the, you know, when you're tempted, you're not the only one. 
You know, I'm the only one. I can't help it. No, you're not the only one. It's a way of escape. He knew his way of escape was to get up. So he helped her get comfortable by herself, and he got up and moved to the other end of the train, and lo and behold, a space had opened up next to his friend. He sat down and confessed the temptation and came home victorious. Hallelujah. you got to have a plan, and you got to work it to stand against temptation. You just have to. If you're going to stand against the wiles of the devil. It's not enough to put your armor on, the, on in the morning when you pray. you got to exercise it. Because you're the righteousness of God, our life should reflect that reality. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. There's some battles you fight. There's some battles you run from. And one you run from is sexual temptation. Stand therefore, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This many times is likened to the need to be evangelistic. If we're going to overcome the devil, we've got to evangelize the lost. I believe that. That's great. But this is really talking about the individual believer's victory. I don't know that it's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word gospel means good news. The good news of peace. There's good news. There's, we no longer, God is no longer at odds with us. His son has paid our debt. And by faith we receive the benefit of that. Good news. No longer do I have to put everyone who's offended me on probation and dangle them over the flames of hell. God's son has paid the price for them so I can forgive them. This is good news. The gospel of peace. We must stand against confusion. Anytime there's conflict and strife, the root of it is confusion. You could say we must stand against strife, stand against arguments, stand against conflict. But what's the root of it? Confusion. And who's the author of confusion? The devil. He's the father of lies. Part of his character, part of his schemes. James 3 says, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil worker there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good works, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So we've got to stand against confusion. And confusion is often caused by us wanting ourselves to be first. Or by our envying somebody. Envying the Joneses. You can't keep up with them. There's too many of them. Just check the phone book. <laughs> now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. We are people, if we're going to stand against deception, we've got to stand against confusion. If you're going to help people reconcile their differences, you've got to get to the bottom of stuff. Sort it out and find the truth. Clear up the confusion. Many people are at odds with God because they're confused about God. Religion has turned them off or they form their own opinion because of some authority figure that mistreated them. Clear up the confusion. God loves you. He cares about you. He sent His Son to die for you. Believe that and allow that to have an impact on your life. He's got a plan and a purpose and a path for which you to walk in. So we're going to stand against the devil's wiles. We must stand against confusion. Above all, take in the shield of faith with which we may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, this many times is to encourage a believer to have faith and to hear the word and all that. But 
the shields in the Roman army were such things that they could link together with other soldiers. The Bible says that as believers, we share in the like precious faith. I believe that the shield of faith is most powerful when it's coupled with other shields of faith. Therefore, we must stand against isolation. Where do you get that? Well, look at this. Ephesians 4, talking about what is commonly called the fivefold ministry. So Jesus gives them to serve, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry till we all come to the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Goes on to say that we should no longer be tossed, no longer be children tossed food to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine by which men lie in wait to deceive. It's when we unify together, we are stronger than ever. Jesus said, wherever two or three of you agree on earth concerning anything which you shall ask, it shall be done for you by my Father in heaven. So this faith thing isn't just an individual thing. It's a corporate reality. Together, our shields of faith are greater than they are separately. Philippians tells us to strive together for the faith of the gospel. There's a picture of kind of a sketch. I couldn't get a better one, but here's a picture of Roman. Who, who's seen the movie Gladiator? There's a scene in there where they're trying to reenact, I think, the, the Battle of Carthage, and, and the gladiators are huddled together with their shields, and it's like a tortoise shell moving across, quenching all the fiery darts of the wicked one. You know, uh, the shields only protect the front nothing to protect you in the back. You couldn't fight if you had a shield that protected you all the way around. So it's important that you have everyone protected. Um, during one of the world wars, Britain's ships were being sunk. I think it's the Second World War by the Germans. And they, they figured out why. The ships were covered with armor on the outside, but not on the deck. The decks were wooden. All it took was to get a, get a bomb to land on the deck. You could sink the whole thing. You've got to have armor protection all the way around. So we need one another. Tell your neighbor, I need you. Join together in faith. Stand against isolation. Proverbs 18.1 says that a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all wise judgment. I read, a, I read the story the other day of a, of a uh, Native American village up in far north. Of Canada and a rabid wolf came into the village and just wreaked havoc was killing huskies and sled dogs by the dozens and scaring people and in that village was a hundred and fifty sled dogs they could have taken them, but they were all tied up because their owners had to keep them separate because they would fight each other and so to keep them from making a bloody mess of one another, they would tie them up just far enough apart where they couldn't reach each other. So a wolf with rabies coming to town has nothing to fear. Because one husky is no match for one wolf. But one wolf is no match for 150 huskies. If the huskies could have got along, they wouldn't have had to do that with them. It wasn't to keep them from running off. It's to keep them from fighting each other. When believers fight each other, 
and don't walk in agreement with each other. It gives the enemy an advantage. Amen. Take the helmet of salvation. We must stand against condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Romans 8 begins right after Romans 7 talks about what a wretched man that I am. I want to do good and I don't do good. I don't want to do evil and I do evil. Oh no, what's going to become of me? And then he bring, begins with the good news of verse 1 in Romans 8. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And then he begins to teach in Romans 8 on how to walk after the Spirit. And it has to do with the mind. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be carnally minded is death and defeat. So it has to do with our thinking. You, you know what repentance, repentance means? It means not just a change of direction or an alteration of behavior. It means to change your mind. We are transformed from the world, Romans 12, 1 says, by the renewing of our mind. It's stinking thinking. Zig Ziglar said we all need a checkup from the neck up. Suffer from the hardening of the attitudes. <laughs> to stand against condemnation. If God has forgiven you, receive it and walk in it and enjoy it. Those who are forgiven much, love much. Oops, the devil messed up by tripping you up. You're going to love God more than ever now. Peter wrote, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts. So it's real important to guard yourself against things that trip you up. Maybe it's, who knows, garbage in, garbage out. Begin to take in some good stuff to renew your mind. Activate that helmet. Stand against things that will result in condemnation. Keep in mind, all these things are predicated on the opening statement of verse 14. Stand, therefore, against the wiles of the devil, taking these weapons of warfare. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. There may be a dozen verses, or close to a dozen verses in the Old Testament that talk about the tongue as a sword, as a weapon, as a hurtful thing. And the New Testament talks about the Word of God as a sword. It's a two-edged sword, dividing asunder joints and marrow, soul and spirit. God's Word is to be in our mouth, not the devil's words. We must stand against destruction, destructive words, destruction. We must stand against it by doing the opposite, speaking life, hope, encouragement to one another. Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one who speaks like the piercings of the sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. This is just a couple of many verses on the tongue. And the tongue is a fire, James 3, 6, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. No one can tame it. But God can. And His Word can. And as our minds are renewed and we stand against things that bring condemnation, we can begin to speak things that bring life instead of destruction. 
Watch this. Within our words, an unseen power is set in motion. The tongue is a small thing, but, like a tiny spark, can set a great force on fire. Once spoken, our words begin blazing a trail through the hearts and lives of those around us. One kind word can demolish guilt. It can inspire hope. But the same words have also embraced hatred and executed innocence. Once spoken, our words scorch their feelings and emotions on a level that only they can produce. Your words set up a chain of events beyond your control and of which you will never know. One word can destroy beliefs, harden hearts, or cultivate hatred. But they can also demonstrate faith, display forgiveness, and nurture love. The power of life and death lies in a single word, and we, the image of God, have this power in one word. One of the signs that God has filled someone with the Spirit, one of the signs can be speaking in tongues. That thing that is so wicked dwells, that little red devil that lives, between, lives behind the pearly white gates. Can bring glory to God as the Spirit gives utterance. So we've seen this morning that we must stand against deception, temptation, confusion, isolation, condemnation, and destruction. The purpose of our armor is to bring victory to the believer, to stand against these things from wreaking havoc in our lives and the lives of our brothers and sisters. Number seven, we must stand against vacillation. That is, spiritual vacillation, prayerlessness. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Watching to this end with all perseverance and supplication. The Bible tells us to continue steadfastly in prayer, to continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. To pray means to talk to God, to be real. Some believers don't pray because they're ashamed of their prayers. God loves your prayers. Talk to Him. He's your Father. Make it real. There's a video I've shown a couple of times. I'm not showing it today called Godco Prayer. Like in itself, comparing to Geico commercials, this guy named Bob is praying, but the professional prayer is that TV preacher guy. So Bob will utter things like, oh God, just help my wife and I have a good marriage. And then the TV preacher guy comes through just like the Geico commercials. Almighty Father, maker of heaven and earth, help my helpmate to come to her senses. Make prayers real. The key to being precision in prayer is to just make prayer first. Everything we do, make it first. Just make it first. Make it first. 
even working at the church. There's so many things to do, believe it or not. There's more work than happens right up here on Sunday morning. That if I don't put it first, the day is over and I hadn't prayed. Oh, my goodness. Got to be persistent at it. Make it first. I've heard a lot of droopy prayers in my life. Hey, I've prayed a lot of them, too. Prayers of desperation. God, you've got to help me. Prayers of self-pity. God, things are so awful. Prayers of resignation. God, if you want to leave me unemployed, then I can't stop you. But I'm learning how to pray a different kind of prayer. Prayer said with thanksgiving. I learned it from St. Paul, who, writing from prison, taught me a most powerful lesson. He said, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Strange, here he is suffering himself, yet he's telling me to pray with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the seasoning that makes our prayers edible to God. After all, who wants to hear people whine all the time? I've learned that you can't whine and give thanks in the same breath. Self-pity and thankfulness don't mix any better than oil and water. In fact, mixing thanks with prayer somehow changes it. When we remember what God has done for us in the past and think about who He is in the present and express that in thankfulness, our prayers become more gentle, more trusting somehow. Thankful prayers are offered with faith, and faith is an essential ingredient for prayers that God chooses to answer. We remember the pilgrims on Thanksgiving Day not so much for their turkey dinner, but for the sheer faith that inspired them to give thanks in a year that saw nearly half their number die of sickness. Yet they prayed with thanksgiving. When your annual day of feasting is over, you may bemoan your extra helpings of dressing, mashed potatoes, and pumpkin pie. But if you hang on to the thanks part of thanksgiving, you'll be a different person. Because when you learn to talk to God about your needs mixed with a healthy dose of heartfelt thanks then you have crossed the divide from whining at God to real prayer. Thankfulness can breathe fresh life into your prayer life. The passage ends today with these words, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth Boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Talk about what to stand against. Here's two things to stand for. We should stand for one another in prayer. Key to my victory is your victory. And one day when I need your help, you now walking in victory, you can help me overcome my struggle. So today, while I'm strong, I want to help you overcome your struggle by praying for one another. Paul recognized this. Here's a writer of half the New Testament asking for prayer. He's in prison, yet he calls himself the ambassador in chains. That, not that he can be set free from his problems, but that he could be a bold witness there in the prison, what he's asking. Final point today is we should stand for prayer when we need it. Just like we did today. Raise a hand. People here needed prayer. They did the right thing. Receive strength from the prayers of one another. So we should stand for one another in prayer and we should receive prayer when we need it. Today is a holiday week. 
and yet it can be a week of effective ministry. Some of you are traveling. Some of you will have loved ones coming to see you. Some of your loved ones are heathens. Some of them are prodigals. Some of them are agnostics or atheists. We need to pray for one another that we can be effective witnesses. Know when to speak, know when to hush, know when to love, and know when to make a stand. So I'd like to, at this point in time, call the praise team forward. Music team, y'all could come up, play some ministry time music, and call the prayer team forward if y'all could go ahead and come up. And we're going to end the service with singing some worship. And if you are going to go travel, we want to pray for your protection. If you're going to be with unbelievers or people that are not practicing their faith, we want to pray for this to happen for you. That while you're not an ambassador in chains, you're still an ambassador. Pray for you, just like Paul asked, that you may speak boldly as you ought to speak. We do that. So as we worship, we're here to pray with you. Especially, I mean, if you need prayer personally for anything, we're here to pray for you. But I especially want to focus on those who are going to be traveling or those who are going to be receiving people in their home this weekend that you don't spend a lot of time with, but they're related to you. They need Jesus, more of Jesus in their life, that the Lord will use you mightily for his glory. Let's sing. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned
the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and may he be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you effectively, victoriously stand against all the schemes of the enemy. In Jesus' name, God bless you.